Welcome back to Chasing Dramas. This is the podcast that discusses Chinese history and culture through historical Chinese dramas. We are your hosts, Karen and Kathy. Today, we are discussing episode six and seven of the story of Minglan or Zhifo, Zhifo, Ying Shi Lu Fei Hong Shou. This podcast is in English with proper nouns and certain Chinese phrases said in Mandarin Chinese. Follow us on Instagram or Twitter or else email us at Karen and Kathy at ChasingDramas.com if you have any comments or questions. The first part of the podcast discussion is an episode recap and then we go on to discuss any interesting historical references or explain some Chinese traditions from the Song Dynasty mentioned in the episodes. Last episode, episode 5 of the story of Minglan, we saw the Sheng family starting to go to school. Their classmate is none other than the young duke of Qi named Qi Heng. While the Sheng family children and Qi Heng are studying, we see that Qi Heng has developed affections for our main character Minglan, who tries her hardest to hide from him and doesn't accept his affections. Gu Tingye, the second son of the Marquis, also recently rejoined the Sheng family to study, having spent the last couple of years away from the capital city studying elsewhere. Episode 6 starts with Gu Tingye joining the rest of the students to study. Fourth daughter Molan and fifth daughter Rulan are introduced to Gu Tingye and they greet him as uncle, calling him by the same generation as the young duke Qi Heng. Everyone sits down and prepares for class. Qi Heng quickly recognizes the brush in Rulan's hand. It is, of course, one of the two brushes that he gifted to Minglan in the last episode. He asks Rulan about the brush, and she smugly responds that Minglan gifted her the brush. Not to be outdone, Mulan chimes in to ask if he has other brushes too. She says she also received one from Minglan. Qi Heng finally turns around to shoot a questioning glance towards Minglan. She, of course, avoids his eyes and continues to grind ink. He is surprised and saddened that she just gifted away his gifts to her from the last episode. Back at her own mother, Lin Xiaoyang, or Mistress Lin's quarters, Mulan discusses the new addition to the class with her mother. Mulan doesn't think much of Gu Tingye. He's rumored to have been seen frequenting brothels and cavorting with entertainers. What will become of her if Gu Tingye chooses her as his wife? Her mother Lin Xiaoyang teases her that it's not like Qi Heng has said anything to her. Mulan coyly responds that Qi Heng has indeed praised her for her penmanship. Why wouldn't he be attracted to her? Lin Xiaoyang is very pleased after hearing this. According to Mulan, despite his current reputation, Gu Tingye is still quite haughty and only willing to marry a Di Nu, or a legitimate daughter. Although he is the second legitimate son of a marquis, he has a poor reputation, which is why he's still unmarried at his age, which is over 20. 
From this conversation, we can see that Mo Lan and her mother Lin Xiangyang care deeply about marrying up, above their station. But there is also an emphasis on reputation. The best person everyone wants is actually Qi Hong, the young duke, as he is principled, will inherit the dukedom, and quite handsome. Other men who have poor reputations are not as favored. From my perspective, I do think Mo Lan thinks too highly of herself. Her father is not a high-ranking official, and she herself is a Shu Chu daughter. But she thinks she should be expected to marry nobility. While that ambition is to be applauded, this is contrasted heavily with Ming Lan, who has no thought of getting close to the legs of Qi Hong. This is fully displayed in the next scene. Ming Lan's maid speaks to Qi Hong and provides him with a basket of pastries that Ming Lan. Uh, has made as a way to apologize for gifting the brushes away. Through her maid, Minglan essentially tells Ti Hung he should stop being so nice to her. She appreciates his gifts, but it's mostly wasted on her. Ti Hung is disappointed and annoyed to hear this. It's probably the first time he's ever been rejected in this way. I mean, he is going to inherit a dukedom after all. How many women wouldn't fall over themselves to try to gain his favor? But Minglan knows her place in society. She has no connections and is even bullied often in her own family. Getting too much attention from Ti Hung is only going to make her living conditions worse. Speaking of bad living conditions, we now turn to Gu Tingye, the second son of the Marquis of Ningyuan. His father calls him to the main hall, and we see his father, his stepmother, and his younger half brother Ting Wei, and a servant from a brothel. Apparently, Gu Tingye has had a lot of unpaid debt at this brothel, so this servant is here on behalf of the manager to try to settle the debts. Gu Tingye's stepmother is trying to cover for him and save face, while his father is absolutely livid. But through the conversation, we see there's something off. Gu Tingye himself says he hasn't been at this brothel in a long time, so why would he have debts? The fingerprints also don't match on the receipts, and the servant can't even confirm if it was indeed Gu Tingye who went to the brothel. What's going on? Gu Tingye tries to explain that it may be one of his cousins from his uncle's side. Who are just trying to use Gu Tingye's name because of his poor reputation from a few years ago? People just lump it onto him. Gu Tingye's father doesn't believe him at all, and they get into a pretty heated argument. It ends with Gu Tingye's father, the Marquis himself, beating his son. This incident gives us a glimpse at how the relationship in the Gu family is right now. Gu Tingye is not close with his father, and his cousins and uncles frame him for all of their poor actions. Gu Tingye, sadly, doesn't have much option to、uh, retaliate and has to just take it. Or I think at this point he doesn't know how to retaliate. Interestingly, the stepmother and his younger half brother at least try to protect him. His poor relationship with most of his family members is further emphasized in the beginning of episode seven, 
Yes, we're kind of jumping around a little bit, but I thought thematically it made sense to connect these two scenes together to discuss. Gu Tingye is requesting his father to allow his wet nurse or his nanny, Chang Mo Mo, to come live in his courtyard and be a lead maid. His father becomes upset and does not want to allow this woman to come. Gu Tingye and his father get into a small argument about this, which is further exacerbated by the arrival of Gu Tingye's older brother, Gu Tingyu. Though this older brother is very sickly and on the surface trying to protect his younger brother, Gu Tingye, this older brother shares with their father that Gu Tingye has a mistress and a family outside. This mistress is also a singer, which means she is of extremely low birth. This infuriates their father, who orders Gu Tingye to be beaten again. Gu Tingye holds his ground, though, and exposes his older brother's schemes in trying to get him to reveal the location of his mistress. Their father wants Gu Tingye to expel his mistress, but of course he doesn't want to. From these two scenes, we can see that Gu Tingye does not have a good relationship with most of his family members. He is constantly fighting against his relatives. Overall, I think the father means well, but unfortunately, this son and father pair do not have good communication styles and always result in conversations turning into arguments or beatings. The older brother, though, is quite unforgiving of his younger brother. The rest of the episode, and carrying on to episode 7, revolves around a surprise visit from Yongchang Bojie Furen and her sixth son Liang Han. Based on the nobility ranking, this woman is wife to the Earl of Yongchang and is a countess. Bo Jue is one step lower than Gu Tingye's family title of Ho and is equivalent to a count or an earl. Anyways, she brings her handsome sixth son for a surprise visit and the wife of the Sheng family, Wang Danyangzi, comes to greet them. This sets off a rush for the fourth and fifth daughters, Mulan and Rulan. Both of their mothers rush for the daughters to get changed and put on makeup in order to look presentable in front of the countess. She is, after all, nobility and a well-known member of society. The mothers think that, for her to stop by, she must be interested in seeking a wife for his son, so the mothers are rather eager to make their daughters presentable. Here, you see the difference between the two daughters. Rulan, daughter of the main wife, doesn't really have an interest in meeting the countess and her son. Mulan, initially, is also not interested. Her sights are set on the young duke, who outranks the countess and her son. But her mother, Ling Xiaoyang, says she should not uh, just set her sights only on the duke and look elsewhere as well. But this countess did not come to meet any of the daughters. She was instead originally interested in just paying respects to Grandma Sheng. Mulan and Rulan are waiting rather impatiently at this point to be summoned to meet the countess, but this summons never comes, so each takes their leave. Rulan seeks out Minglan and tries to bully her into doing her bidding on a number of things, while Mulan, per a suggestion by one of her mother's maids, goes through the back door to try to catch a glimpse of the countess and her son. It goes without saying that this is not a proper thing to do, 
but for her future, she decides to take this risk. As Mulan sneaks over to the main hall, she is seen by Rulan, who then drags poor Minglan along to see exactly what Mulan is up to. Minglan tries really hard to escape the situation because she knows full well this is going to end badly, but she doesn't have much choice as Rulan just bullies her into following Mulan. And indeed, it does not end well. So the three girls do get a look behind a screen of the various men and women in the main hall and have a little competition and to see who they like best. The three get into an argument. Well, mostly and unsurprisingly, Rulan and Mulan. And they actually tumble down over the screen in front of everyone. Uh, more like Mulan sees the opportunity to push her two sisters out into the open. The people in the hall are shocked to see these girls there, and it is a huge disgrace for the Sheng family. The countess and her son leave discussing why this happened, but we see that she is actually still quite understanding. She doesn't care too much if someone is a daughter of a concubine, so, you know, she is quite learned and pretty patient and balanced. Qi Hong, the young duke, is also chuckling at the sight. He doesn't find it that disgraceful, more amusing that Minglan would have been involved in something like this. His servant, though, is like, oh, God, my master needs to stay away from Minglan. <laughs> I'm trying to protect him, but he just wants to, you know, focus all of his attentions on this girl that is not going to end well in a relationship with my master. Master Sheng and his wife, though, do not find this funny at all. Poor Minglan and Rulan are punished with slaps on their hands as they kneel in front of their father, being punished for their poor behavior. Crafty and manipulative Mulan is able to twist the story such that the fault primarily fell on Rulan and Minglan. Despite Minglan saying that it was indeed Mulan that led the sisters to the hall, their father is not willing to believe her because Mulan is very adept at framing the narrative in her favor. Man, these are some skills I gotta learn from Mulan. Well, it sounds like she also has learned some from watching uh, The Empresses in the Palace. She would do well in the Imperial Harem, I think. Well, we will see about that later on. Episode 6 ends with Master Sheng punishing Minglan and Rulan to kneel in their ancestral shrine for three days. Poor Minglan and Rulan. Minglan in particular. Rulan is upset at this injustice. Why isn't Mulan also punished? Minglan shares her insight that it didn't matter what they said. Their father wasn't going to believe them anyways. So why argue? The next morning, Wang Danyangzi at least heads over to see her daughter and Minglan. She's very worried about her daughter's condition. Whatever you say about her temper, Wang Danyangzi is at least a good mother. She cares a lot about her children and tries to take care of them. Even though she is not Minglan's birth mother, she also prepared some medication for Minglan to help heal the bruises on her knees which shows that she is not as heartless as she may seem. Although to me, she raised two children, Hualan and Changbai, which turned out pretty well. And I'm just like, what did you do wrong with Rulan over here? 
Wang Da Niangzi did wonder why Grandma Sheng hasn't been to see Minglan yet. But as we see later uh, in the episode, Grandma Sheng knows all. She fully understands that Minglan was framed and is not the main culprit, but leaves her to kneel. It's not that she doesn't care. It's just that there's not much she can do. In the end, she does tell her maid to give Minglan some padding to make uh, her more comfortable. And for this, Grandma Sheng rightly points out that it was not worth it to get into an argument with Master Sheng. Well, Wang Nanyangzi isn't going to stop trying to uh, save her daughter. How does she do that? Why, trying to change her husband's mind, of course. And this is probably the highlight of the two episodes. Earlier in the day, Master Sheng or Sheng Hong is eating with the concubine Lin Xiangyang. She is her usual dainty, meek self, trying to say even good things about Rulan and Minglan to prevent them from more punishment. But that's her plan. She wants Master Sheng to hear her words and double down on punishment in a way to say, no, I need to teach them some manners. Lin Xiangyang is quite the master manipulator. She says exactly the right words to prod Sheng Hong along, or Master Sheng. It's quite a show. Everything she says on the surface seems like she's trying to help Minglan and Rulan, but of course, she wants the exact opposite. Like Karen said, she's able to tug right at Master Sheng's heartstrings. For lunch, Wang Danyangzi uh, tries to be like Lin Xiangyang, and it's hilarious because for some reason, coming from her, you just can't help but laugh and get some goosebumps over how fake it all is. When Sheng Hong, or Master Sheng, stops by for lunch, she is doing everything for him. She tells the maids to go, and she actually ladles his food for him, and she recommends the seasonal dishes. You can totally see how he's like, Oh, we're only talking about food? Great, I'm relieved. He's of course suspicious the entire time, or at least for the first couple of sentences. And of course, Wang Danyangzi keeps his charade up for those two sentences before uh, diving into the main topic of conversation. Which is, of course, trying to save Rulan. And Sheng Hong is not pleased. He thinks Rulan needs some punishment to learn some manners, which honestly isn't false. But Wang Da and Yangzi starts bringing up her eldest daughter and her son. Though instead of yelling, she pulls a page from Lin Xiangyang's book and immediately starts crying and falls into her husband's lap, saying that her eldest daughter is currently being bullied at her in-laws and then tries to turn the conversation on to Rulan. I'm honestly dying laughing because Wang Danyangzi just does not have what it takes to cry on demand, or at least her actions are seen as really fake. At first, her husband tries to console her and is actually, you know, hoping to have a conversation. But when she changes the topic back to Rulan and the conversation just suddenly turns south, her husband becomes frustrated and leaves in a huff. After he leaves, she immediately stops to tears and drops this amazing line. She's like, wow, I guess this act really requires natural talent. 
I think this is just so funny because she is too straight-laced and has too big of a temper for this to work. She just can't turn into Lin Xiaoyang. This line also became a meme when it first came out and everybody just was like, man, I don't know how to do it. Wang Danyangzi, after this, has no other option but to seek aid from Grandma Sheng. Grandma Sheng is in her quarters mixing incense, quite at ease. Of course, she's already told her maids to make sure Minglan is okay. She's obviously not going to tell Wang Danyangzi this. Wang Danyangzi tries to appeal to Grandma Sheng to reduce Rulan's punishment. She again brings up Hualan. Her eldest daughter isn't doing well at her husband's house. It's been several years, and she hasn't birthed the son. Grandma Sheng already has a solution. She has a close friend from her youth, Madame He, whose husband was an imperial doctor. She also learned medicine. When Madame He comes to visit, she'll request for Hualan to come visit and get a checkup. As for Rulan and Minglan, Grandma Sheng has another friend from her days in the palace that she'll ask to teach proper etiquette for the girls. This should be enough for Sheng Hong to agree to release the girls from kneeling at the ancestral shrine for now. Wang Danyangzi cannot contain her glee at this. This is great news for her daughters. She's genuinely impressed with her mother-in-law's wits and praises her that if she wasn't a woman, she should have been a general. She says that the Kitans wouldn't have won the Battle of Gaoliang. We'll talk about this later. The episode ends with the girls prepping for their lessons with Madame Kong. Gu Tingye asks to be excused from class to deal with family matters, and the young duke, Qi Hong, is wondering why all three daughters of the Sheng family are no longer in their class. That's it for the recap of episode 6 and 7. Let's see what happens with these etiquette lessons in episode 8. Now on to our historical analysis section of this podcast episode. First, let's talk about names for people in these two episodes. A bunch of characters have been introduced and people are referred to by different names. So I want to provide some clarification. Let's first talk about generational names. In China, clans and families used generational names and character radicals to indicate the generation a person is in. This practice helps keep track of a family member's generation and lineage. Clan and family elders would have generational poems that future generations would use for each generation. We've discussed this in The Empresses in the Palace, but fun fact, Confucius's generations were once bestowed by emperors themselves. This practice slowly died out during the 20th century, but clans and families in recent years are trying to revive this practice. Usually, a Chinese name would have three characters, the surname, the generational name, and a given name. In the context of this story, the generational names are used 
for the Sheng family and the Gu family. In the Sheng family, they separated the names between males and females. The Sheng generational name for Minglan's brothers are Chang, which can mean long or longevity. In each of their given names, the names also contain a wood radical or a mu. Let's focus on the two brothers that Minglan has in the drama. We have, of course, the second brother, Chang Bai, which literally means long cypress, and the third brother, Chang Feng, which literally means long maple. In the book, Minglan has another male cousin from his father's side whose name is Chang Wu, which means long Chinese parasol tree, and a younger brother, Chang Dong, or long support. You, of course, can't see it in the podcast, but we'll post in our podcast notes that in all of these names, the third character of the male names has the radical of wood. As for the women in Minglan's family, the common word is, of course, len, which means orchid. That is why we have so many lens. Hualan for the big sister, Mulan for the fourth sister, Rulan for the fifth sister, and Minglan here. We'll also be introduced to female cousins who will also have the character Lan in their names. Right now, it is somewhat confusing to hear, but it does make sense if you're trying to figure out your relations. For the Gu family, they also use generational names. For Gu Tingye's generation, the generation name is Ting, which means court. The word radical used for the third character or the given name is actually Huo, or fire. So we have the eldest, Gu Tingyu, the second, Gu Tingye, and the third, Gu Tingwei. All are basically variations of court and to burn brightly. Next, let's talk about courtesy names or biaozi. This is a name that is typically bestowed to men when they have come of age. Generally, it is disyllabilic or comprised of just two characters. Women can also sometimes have courtesy titles, but it is more rare as they would just be referred to by their husband's last name or by their last name. When men and women came of age, it was viewed as disrespectful to refer to each other with their given names. If someone has a courtesy name, that will be used instead. The young duke, Qi Heng, has a courtesy title of Yuan Ruo. Both Ru Lan and Mo Lan constantly call him Yuan Ruo Ge Ge, or Brother Yuan Ruo, because that is his courtesy name. It would be viewed as improper to directly call him Qi Heng. In proper society, I'm guessing the usage of names would be very strict. However, in the show, and indeed in the book, it seems like the young duke, Qi Heng, is the only one that is regularly referred to by his courtesy name. Gu Tingye also has a courtesy name of Zhong Huai, but it is not used often, and primarily the only person who calls him by that is Sheng Changbai. Something to note is that Qi Heng has not yet inherited the dukedom, but he's the only one with that title for the time being, so we'll just call him the young duke. 
In the previous episode, I mentioned how in the book, all of the girls left in the family, meaning Mulan, Rulan, and Minglan, hadn't come of age yet, or they hadn't had their Jiji ceremony. In episode 6, Mulan reveals that they have all indeed conducted their Jiji Juli, or coming of age ceremony. It is typically called the hairpinning ceremony. According to the Book of Rites, or Li Ji, compiled during the Zhou Dynasty over 2,000 years ago, a woman can have her Zizi ceremony when she is 15 years old. For the ceremony, a close and a respected elder female will gift an elegant hairpin and pin the young woman's hair up. To the world, the young woman is now of marriageable age. In the drama, we see that all three ladies, Mulan, Rulan, and Minglan, have their hair pinned up, but with bangs. That was acceptable for unmarried women. The customs of the day were very strict on how women could style their hair. Married women had different hairstyles. We'll discuss this when different characters get married in the show, but let's keep this in mind. And kudos to the show for staying true to history. It's often that TV dramas fully dispense with traditions like this. If you see a woman uh, with hair down after, uh, let's say, the age of 15 or 16, that's not true to history at all. Once a girl has had her hairpinning ceremony, the most important event in her life will now be to find a respectable marriage. The earlier, the better. If she delays to, heaven forbid, even after 18, she would be considered old. It's no wonder why Wang Danyangzi and Lin Xiaoniang are all trying to find suitable husbands. Next up, let's talk about some food. In episode 7, Master Sheng went to Wang Danyangzi's quarters for lunch. On the table was a dry cured ham and tofu with lotus seed stew. Wang Danyangzi claimed that the dry aged ham is actually from Jinghua. Jinghua is currently in present day Zhejiang province. We want to highlight this because there are a few legends about this Jinghua Huotui. One is that during the Song Dynasty, when the general Zongzi won several battles against the Jurchens to the north, the locals gifted ham to the soldiers. They salted the ham to preserve it, and the general brought the ham to the capital city. The then prince of Kang Zhao Go and the first emperor of the southern Song Dynasty thoroughly enjoyed the ham and gifted the name of Huotui, which means fire leg, and what we say now is ham, as a direct reference to the bright colors of the meat. Another legend is that the people of Wenzhou, a city along the eastern coast of China, also in Zhejiang province, often experienced floods. One year, the people fled during a flood, and when they came back, they unearthed some pigs that drowned. The sea salt water naturally cured the meat. The earliest historical records of curing ham from Jinghua actually dates back to the Tang Dynasty, so even before the Song Dynasty. It was rumored that the method was transmitted back to Europe by Marco Polo during the Yuan Dynasty. Dry-aged ham from Jinghua is still very famous today. Next up, in Episode 7, Wang Danyangzi praises Grandma Sheng for her wit. She claims if Grandma Sheng had been a man, she would have been a general and the Ketons wouldn't have won the Battle of Gaoliang River. 
The Battle of Goliang River occurred in 979 AD, and it was a blowing defeat for the Song campaign to recapture the 16 prefectures in northern China, or Yanyun Shiliuzhou, from the Liao dynasty ruled by the Khitans. Emperor Song Taizong, or the second emperor of the Song dynasty, personally led the forces to try and recapture the city of Yozhou, or present-day Beijing. Unfortunately, the Song forces led a long campaign before reaching the city walls of Yozhou and were roundly defeated by the Liao forces. This battle is extremely important in terms of Song-Liao relations and the continued wars between the two empires as it placed the Song dynasty as the underdogs. Galiang River itself is actually in present-day Beijing. And finally, let's dive a little bit deeper into the character of the young Duke Qi Heng. He is the sole heir and son of the Duke of Qi and Princess Ping Ning. We'll see a ton of his mother in the coming episodes, so we'll discuss her later. As the sole heir, Qi Heng is expected to inherit his father's title of Duke. Nevertheless, he still plans to take the civil service entrance exams. This aspiration is extremely rare for a member of nobility. When he meets Liang Han, Liang Han even says as much. He is just expecting to inherit some sort of title and money and have fun. Why study when he doesn't have to? Mulan even praised Qi Hong for expecting to feng qi yin zi, or what translates to grant titles to his wife and children based on his own merit. Instead of waiting to inherit titles of his ancestors, he aspires to enter court and serve as a minister for the empire. The difference in attitude that Xi Hung has towards his career makes him all the more attractive to the ladies of the capital. He truly is the handsome duke of every girl's dreams, and right now he just has eyes for Minglan. Well, that is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to our discussion of the story of Minglan, episode six and seven. Certainly a lot going on and many characters already introduced to us, but also many interesting aspects of Chinese history that were presented today. If you have any comments or questions on the show or what was presented, please let us know and contact us. Thank you all so much for listening. The music you heard today in this episode is the Chinese Zheng version of the main theme of the show, sheet music written by Yumi and Xiao Yan and played by yours truly. We will catch you in the next episode. Mm-hmm.